Welcome to the Political Party Pooper Playbook. And if you thought all we did was sit around thinking up ways to poop on empty suit politicians, well, you'd be half right. This is indeed the P4B. I am your host, the kooky and kissable Matt Jordan. Today, we're talking about Zihan on Trump and NATO. If you want to cruise, you need to buy some beer and gas. But before we get to the main event, I have some housekeeping and a quick hit. Throughout this post below the audio line, you'll find lots of buttons. Some are links having to do with the episode, maybe some amplification of information. You'll also find buttons to support the P4B. Financial support is voluntary, therefore deeply gratifying and appreciated. But just as important are the share and subscribe buttons. Subscribers tell us how we're doing and get you all the shows as they drop. And of course, shares (laughs) grow the P4B. So please, do use all the buttons and links aggressively. Okay, she did what? Some people were meant to be golfers. I may not be one of them. Every spring, I hit the driving range and links with renewed enthusiasm. Every fall, I hang them up feeling frustrated. Equally, some people are great financial experts. Many of them share their knowledge, so we might benefit and build a better future for ourselves. And then there's Charlotte Cowles. She's a financial columnist for The Cut. Maybe she should take up golf, because she shouldn't be advising her cat about a field that requires due diligence. This is a woman who, over a period of five hours, remained on the phone with all kinds of scammers, ultimately putting $50,000 in a shoebox and handing it to the scam crew. If phone and online scams were new, I'd just call it bad luck for cowls. But they're not. This woman obviously has very limited real-world experience. She isn't qualified to discuss critical money matters with other people. There were a few interesting quotes to come out of the stories this woman is telling herself. First, she points out that Other people had to tell her that if it wasn't for the scammers mentioning her son, she wouldn't have gone along with the scam. That's her word. She had moments of suspicion, she says, but that others had to say the threat to her family made her do it. And she goes with that now. She likes to remind people that she has a degree from Columbia. It's just a BA in English. Some degrees don't endow a person with a healthy skepticism. Cowles told MarketWatch, quote, For every person who's called me an idiot in public, there's been another one emailing me in private to say that a similar thing happened to them, end quote. These kinds of Trumpian exaggerations trouble me in any conversation. Here she's trying extra hard to deflect criticism and say anyone can be duped this way. 
Otherwise, she must spend 24 hours a day on her computer because tens of thousands of people laughed her off of X. So, with those two conditions, something about this story is a bit fishy. Was she up to something that was actually dodgy, making her an easy mark? Or is this whole thing made up or spun wider to provide a market for a book? We may never know. But for people who know nothing of such things, a few recommendations are in order. These are ways to help you avoid being scammed. Number one, always answer a text or a phone call with a sense of skepticism. Always assume the person on the other end is playing you. Number two, never conduct a transaction that can't be verified by other means. Does that guy on the other end really have a brand new MacBook for you for only $150? But you must take it now. He might have it, but we all doubt that, right? And it's not worth being cleaned out to get that great buy. Let it go. Number three, the police, the FBI, and certainly not the CIA are going to call you and say you've been a victim of identity theft. Your credit card company will do so a whole lot sooner. Police are not going to warn you on the phone that they are going to raid your house unless your name is Biden. They are not going to tell you to give them cash. They just aren't. Number four, keep a few weeks' worth of cash in a safe place. If you think you might be a victim of credit card or ID theft, freeze your accounts. Review transactions until you and the bank or the credit card company are satisfied. Don't open emails from untrusted sources. How many times have you heard that? And if you do open an email from a stranger, don't open any files on it. That hot tie girl is really not in love with you. It makes me sick that, quote, professionals who have been told this repeatedly not to do these things do it every goddamn day. Tell all charity phone contacts to send me the paperwork. They'll object and they can kiss your ass. And if they don't actually send paperwork, they're not real. If they do, still verify them with a trusted source anyway. If you get a call that might be a scam, report it. It rarely results in arrests, but not all scammers are Einsteins. You might get lucky and get the miserable pieces of shit arrested. There is a pretty sophisticated group in India doing time right now. Doing time in India doesn't sound attractive to me. Do your updates, change your passwords frequently, and get as much data and communication protection as you can afford. All really cool conservatives should have P4B gear. There are just two examples in the text below the audio line. But you can shop 
all of Poe River to find all kinds of cool stuff. Just go to poeriver.se.com. And now for the main event. Dinging Peter, it's never pleasant. As usual, when straying into electoral politics, Peter Zihan betrayed his objective, studied self and gave us a peek at his pink panties. His take on the Trump versus NATO dust-up misses the point of Trump's plainly spoken assertions. Not because Peter lacks an eye for detail, but because when it comes to party politics, he's as one-sided about his sources as anyone who is busy and eventually slouches to the easy stream of info. Echoing the talking points of MSNBC, CNN, and WAPO, for, for example, Zihan speaks of Trump's statements as a threat to move away from the European continent, which of course it is not. Trump's remarks now, as they were in 2015 through 17, are a demand for payment, no more, no less. Zion also characterizes what he calls any future withdrawal of support for any foreign entities, in this case Europe, as a nationalist populist issue where people like Trump are winning the argument for isolationism. Zion disappoints the people who try to keep personalities out of argument when he skews partisan. And that's a shame. He has a strong, usually well-deserved following for his objective numerical analysis of important trends. He taints that authority with remarks like his 20 February quick hit. Let's look at the two characterizations here. The money thing. Trump wants us to move away from NATO. Uh, this simply isn't true. And nothing he said this week supports that. When speaking of all foreign affairs, Trump loves the projection of power. And in all things, the Donald doesn't do real nuance. Part of that projection of power thing is seeing to it that the U.S. is not treated as the rich, idiot friend with the nice car. Whether we're talking about UN, trade policy, NATO, for decades now, the U.S. has been the target of tariffs and shutouts and expected to keep our borders wide open for trade. Any talk of protectionism here is always met with cries of upsetting the balance of trade and just being mean. The UN has been our obnoxious party guest since 1960. It got worse when they, quite stupidly, allowed China to sit on the Security Council. We pay the lion's share to support an organization that spews a steady flood of insult toward us. Meanwhile, weak asses like Joe Biden encourage sub-organizations like UNESCO to play mischief and censor speech in our country. For the details on that insult, run entirely under the auspices of the WEF. Hit the button in the text below the audio line. Basically, we pay most of the UN's costs so Americans can be fucked with by foreign actors 
and their drones inside of our own government. When it comes to alliances, well, it's pretty much the same. It's Friday night, all your buddies want to get drunk and cruise the strip. They use your car, rarely buy gas, and you have to supply the beer. The entirety of Trump's attitude toward NATO has nothing to do with abandoning the actual organization. He likes to cruise the strip as much as anyone. He likes the popularity that comes with the fine wheel and some money in his pocket. But he's tired, as we all are, of being swindled every Friday. He wants all of NATO countries to pay their freight or get out of the car. Now, how realistic is the threat? Mm, not very. Germany, for example, is notorious for shortchanging the alliance. Trump is saying, not implying, if Russia were to leapfrog the remainder of Ukraine and Poland and attack Germany, they better be paid up. But if Poland were attacked, we'd be there. Poland pays its bills. Since the leapfrog idea isn't going to happen, NATO is safe from big, mean, orange man's threats. So in reality, Germany and the other schlubs that ride without enough money are being shamed into ponying up a few more bucks. It worked in Trump's first term. Revenues among the partner nations were moving up. Then old Joe showed up and member nations realized they could go back to cruising on Friday night and suckering the driver, pretending to be his friend. It's a question of respect and a legitimate one. They expect us to come and die for them. We are to endure criticism if we waver for any reason. Then they don't shoulder the agreed financial support for the endeavor. That we've accepted this for so long is a testament to how much of a shit our government really gives about us and our young people. So Trump, whether you like him or hate him, is trying to change that lopsided, disrespectful practice. Talk about projecting power. Okay, the nationalism thing. While it is accurate to call the notion of leaving NATO, for one example, as a nationalist or a populist notion, it isn't new, and it isn't party-driven as a policy. Peter Zihan, in his own words, pointed out the United States, through several administrations in both parties, has been slowly creeping away from the machine that makes all of our trade and alliances possible. Since Bretton Woods, our ships have plied every ocean and almost all seas, even the Black Sea sometimes, to protect international trade. Everybody's trade. Talk about being the kid with the cool car. Our reward for this has been no better than the lack of respect we get from some NATO countries. No better than the skinny kid in the back seat who couldn't beat up a flower who wants to get drunk on our beer and drag us into fistfights with other punks at the Circle K. It's hard to justify to Congress, the issue hasn't really trickled down to the voters yet, to spend money 
on a huge navy, including crew, fuel, food, and paying for ports of call in that environment. It hasn't been a right versus left thing. It's been a fed up versus patient pragmatic thing. And the fed up people have been winning. Zion is right. If we abandon NATO, Europe will cease to exist as we know it today. But again, according to Zion's own writing, the Europe we know today is going away pretty fast anyway. So what are we defending? Defining our national interest vis-a-vis -vis Europe is going to become more and more difficult anyway. NATO is good. NATO is important. The real trick will be to know when it will no longer be good or important. To say that Trump has somehow captured this disengagement as a new political tool is overly simplistic. To imply the right is the sole driver of it is disingenuous. The right, when it talks about taking care of our borders first, for example, they are at least being forthright with individual nationalistic issues. That does not a rule make. And the left has been just as quick to back away from our strategic interest, but they have done so quietly. Their lust is for ever-increasing domestic power. They care little for international security. They probably don't even understand it. They do it all with a phony, peace-love-Bobby-Sherman kind of propaganda. But to be certain, both parties have been pulling back from the world. So calm down. None of that is addressed in Trump's comments. His, quote, threat is addressed to the weak asses in the back seat, not paying for gas and drinking way more beer than they paid for. He's not going to push them from a moving vehicle, but he may not let them ride next week. Be sure to use all the buttons at the top and bottom of the text. We live and die by the share and subscribe buttons. Send inquiries to poriverproductions at gmail.com. Thank you very much for joining us today.